Welcome to the CEC report for the 8th of August 2019. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Elisa. Good and to I'm be back. Welcome back. <laughs> and we've got more big news today, particularly on our mobilisation. But the first topic, elites' desperation about inevitable crash driving cash ban and the chaos factor sabotaging solutions. So first today, elites' desperation about inevitable crash driving cash ban. So we're referring here for new view viewers to the currency restriction of the use of cash bill 2019. This is uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison's effort to ban cash transactions upwards of $10,000. For the moment, $10,000, but this could go down to anything, including the elimination of cash. And this is what, yes. I mean, the, the, the bill itself, you know, uh, says that it's going to ban uh, uh, transactions to $10,000, but they're also trying to make it softer from public issue, uh, selling it to the public by saying, oh, but we're going to have regulations that say, you know, certain transactions like selling cars and so forth, you can actually go over 10000 mm. But the point of this bill, it's so badly written. The second session, se second, second section of that bill has blank. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing in it. And so this is a foot in the door. Yeah. And then once they've got it, of course, they'll make it worse. And so it's it's designed. Uh, we have no idea why they're putting it out now so incomplete. But obviously, it's to try and force, you know, force something through that's unpopular with the people. And as we'll go through in a moment, um, they need to get it through fast because there's a new global financial crash brewing, as mm -hmm. we've been saying for some time, and it's right sitting on the horizon like thunderclouds now. But the good news on our just to update our campaign to stop this bill. Of course, the Treasury has sought submissions and they only allowed two weeks for that process, which ends on Monday, the 12th of August. So if you're watching this on YouTube and you haven't made your submission, be sure to do so immediately so that that's done. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be comprehensive. Just say that you're opposed to it. It's the numbers that will count. Um, so we've been getting a flood of those submissions coming into our website, into our email. People are sending us copies of it, which is great. Um, the videos on this topic put out by ourselves, by Digital Finance Analytics and by In the Interests of the People are going viral. They're getting a lot of coverage, so people are sharing and forwarding them. This is creating a great degree of outrage. Um, members of Parliament are reporting that they are under a barrage uh, from phone calls and from emails of people opposed to this, so that is excellent. So once you've done your submission, turn your guns onto your Member of Parliament. And one thing we want to particularly um, focus on is the National Party MPs, because if there were a split in the coalition over this, uh, that would be a very big deal, making it now impossible for the government to get this up. And of course, as we saw with the process that led to the Royal Commission, uh, there are a lot of people in the rural areas, uh, National Party seats, independent seats, uh, from rural backgrounds, from regional areas of the country, uh, that do use a lot of cash mm. as one thing, but they're also sick of being screwed by the banks, so they want justice. Um, now, of course, one example that we uh, have made is the example of India, yes. which is interesting because they recently um, defeated the drive for bail-in and the government was forced to wind back that legislation. But what's funny about that case is that um, the government first made their um, move on cash mm 
where they banned uh, larger currency notes. Yeah. Um, and that was a way of removing a lot of cash from the economy. So people were so fed up after that happened and so outraged at it that when bail-in was put up, uh, they wanted none of it. And there was a massive campaign, um, Change.org's petition, people queuing outside the banks and so forth. And it, it, it didn't get through. And this is where our campaigns with our legislation, Lisa, is really crucial because, look, We've already got the Glass-Steagall legislation which separates out in our banking system, the legitimate banking system, the commercial banking system, the boring banking system from all the speculative stuff that was highlighted in the Royal Commission, all the criminality and that sort of thing. Mm. We've got a bill, in, you know, a bill that's going to be reintroduced into Parliament. It's already been to the Parliament twice but because of the election it, it lapsed. We've got a bail-in amendment. Now, what some of our new viewers don't realise is that this government, or the last government, the last Liberal government, passed legislation on the 14th of February 2018 that allowed APRA to give regulations to the banks so that they could actually steal people's deposits. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, APRA and the government say, oh, no, no, this is not possible. Well, according to our legal advice, it is. And people, if they want to understand what this bail-in is and, you know, stealing our deposits, stealing money from our, you know, uh, you know from, from your bank accounts, Go to our website and look up bail-in and you'll find a lot more information about that. But the other thing is that we've also put up, a, we've also got a, an audit bill which is also going to be looked at putting into the parliament. And now this audit bill demands an audit of the banks, mm. not by the big four uh, you know, audit companies, which are now themselves the subject of a parliamentary inquiry, mm. right, because of the, the collusion that the big four uh, accounting firms have had with the banking system. And what... What is absolutely outrageous here is that we've known, the CEC's known for a long time, that money laundering has been going on through the banking system since, you know, since time immemorial. It's got a large connection to the drug trade. All the relevant legislation exists to be able to probe the banks to probe this money laundering. Yet what they want to do is attack the ordinary citizens going about their business in a lawful way mm. and remove cash from them. So this is, this is what we call a fascist, uh, you know, a fascist move. It's designed to force people into the banking system without mm -hmm. a choice because as we're going to go through, no doubt, what we're moving towards is negative interest rates. That means that when you put your money in the bank, you've got to pay the bank to keep your money in there. Yeah. And that will then force people to pull their money out because why should they pay the banks to have their money sitting in a bank? Exactly, and I want to talk a bit more about the negative interest rates because... Uh, the New Zealand Reserve Bank has just cut their interest rates by 0.5% down to 1%, so the same as ours. Uh, but the governor there has foreshadowed uh, negative interest rates, saying at a press conference, it's easily within the realms of possibility that we might have to use negative interest rates. And in the wake of that, there's been a discussion in the media about the fact that we're headed towards zero rates globally very fast. Um, now, uh, some journalists and other media are not covering this cash bill, this cash mm -hmm. ban bill, because they're saying, oh, you know, it's a bit conspiracy to say that it's about negative interest rates and bail-in. Well, in 2016, John Adams had foreshadowed this in an article for the Daily Telegraph, and he cited the International Centre for Monetary and Banking Studies, a 2016 Geneva report, which said that the drive towards a cashless society is to provide central banks greater flexibility with negative interest rates. So even then, uh, they were seeing the necessity to prop up the global financial system that's so close to crashing um, that this would be necessary. And if you 
you should definitely go and watch the show that's just come out from In the Interest of the People, which is John Adams with Martin North, called Don't Believe the Establishment's Cash Ban Lies and Propaganda, because um, they show the quotes where the IMF is explicitly talking about phasing out cash as a means of making negative interest rates work. Um, they say, virtually they say you have to make cash so unpalatable that people won't want to go near it. And they say cutting rates significantly into negative territory is impossible if cash is available. And this, this is really stunning, Elisa, because in February the same IMF said that Australia has to have statutory bailing. Mm, Otherwise, that's in right. one case, you get rid of the cash, force people into the banking system, but then expose people to having their bank their deposits stolen through mm. a, legit, a legislated bailing. Now, yeah. we say that we've already got that, but this is, the, this is the tyranny of what's going on here. And they also said that government should not be allowed to interfere That's right. in the banking system yep. taking that approach. Now, we have to stop for a quick break, but we'll keep discussing this right after this. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing the attempts to ban cash uh, to make propping up the global financial system um, easier, possible. It isn't possible anyway, but that's what they're trying to do. Really, we need to scrap the whole lot and start again, go back to the drawing board, which is what our legislation is about. Um, now, I wanted to reference the submission that the CEC has made to the Treasury regarding this cash ban bill, because what we talk about in there um, is really the principle of what CEC is fighting for, because um, we describe the fact that there's been an unprecedented collusion between Treasury uh, and the banking system um, to mutate the financial system so that what we've got today is not a healthy financial system, but it's mutated into a system which loots the people and sucks the economy dry rather than funding productivity and real economic development. And so you've got a system where uh, the banks are acting under cover of secrecy, there's massive cover-ups that go on, the regulators of course are in a close and tight collusion with them um, to allow them to do whatever they like. Um, the Royal Commission of course was covered, it ended up being a cover-up because while there were good intentions, uh, the terms of reference constricted it and um, Treasury came in over the top of it to blunt its final report. Um, and indicative of this process is Ken Henry, the former head of NAB, coming out, well, it was revealed by a whistleblower mm. uh, that he, during that whole process of the Royal Commission going on, had meetings with one of the big four auditing firms, EY, um, which was their consultant, and he said in one of those meetings that he was confident that the bank was still selling products that would later require compensation to customers. In other words, that they were still ripping people off, even while this whole process of the Royal Commission was going on. This is a characteristic of the whole deregulation, free trade, privatisation agenda mm. of economic rationalism we've seen in the last 40 years, at least. So we're coming to the pointy end of when you actually have policies that loot the population, you remove government from oversight... You have regulators that have no interest because they're in collusion with the banks of stopping economic crime. This is what happens. And what we're starting to see, say, in the housing industry, for example, mm. is typical of what you start to see in a system built upon 
uh, on these policies of deregulation, privatisation and so forth. Yeah, and that's referring, of course, to what we're seeing with the apartment crisis, um, cracking buildings and mm -hmm. so forth, where the self-regulation standards have been absolutely hopeless and there's no due diligence done uh, whatsoever. And um, one example just come up is Mascot Towers, where four of the five builders have been wound up, so they can't go back to them. Mm -hmm for some compensation because they don't exist anymore and the fifth one can't be contacted. And in that case, those apartment owners are facing massive repair bills and they can't live there for at least another four months, so they're renting elsewhere, etc. Um, now, what I want to go to is a video, a film clip here because uh, Robert Barwick uh, had the chance to catch up on Sunday with Edwin Almeida, who's somewhat of an expert and has been a whistleblower on the cases of these apartment buildings. Um, and they got to see one of the apartments in question in Melbourne, which they'll go through. So we'll go to that clip. I'm Robert Barwick from the CEC Report, and I'm out and about in Melbourne today with a special guest from Sydney, Edwin Almeida, who some viewers may recognise as at Just Think Property on Twitter. Or, or as you've labelled me, undersupply. undersupply. Now, Edwin is a troublemaker of the, of the large construction industry. He's the whistleblower who's been... If they had to listen to him years ago, people wouldn't have bought these properties in these towers that are proved to be death traps. So you've, you've you know, um, exposed a lot of this in Sydney. Uh, uh, it wouldn't have been proved to be right. You're in Melbourne. Um, we'll talk about the building behind us in a second, but you've, you've been looking around this morning. What are your impressions? I, I think Melbourne, from what I've seen, and uh, just on face value and going around today, uh, I think Melbourne's going to is in for a big shocker. Now I know I know in a lot of cases and a lot of people that have actually bought properties down here uh, from Sydney with the superannuation funds and talking to the locals, talking to some of the um, uh, property management teams and, and so forth, the yields have gone down in the last four months. We've also got prices going down from nine hundred to seven hundred and seven fifty. Mm. Now the question is is are they going to still be able to settle? And will the banks loan on those, you know, will the bank give them the 80% the, the LVR on those loans? So I, I think they're going to lose the deposits. So all the, all the bad press has been for Sydney, but this is, is now, Edwin's now talking about Melbourne. So Edwin, behind us is Australia 108. We are on South Bank Boulevard, which I'm now calling the South Bank Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We'll just get the camera operator to pan up and have a look at the building. This is Australia 108. Now this is an incomplete building. It's going to be Australia's highest um, residential tower when it's finished. It's going to be t about nine floors higher than the Eureka Tower. And we've just had a look at it. We actually even got to go inside. Tell the viewers what you found. Well, it's, it's typical of a high-rise development. You've got, uh, it all looks nice and shiny on the outside. Uh, but on the inside, when you look at the inclusions, when you look at the fittings, the fixtures, uh, the, what it's comprised of, it's, I think it's, it's cheap in comparison to, to, to what people are paying or paid off the plan to, yep. to live there. One of the problems that we're going to get uh, well, is, uh, in the next few years is because a lot of these buildings I've noticed that uh, here, in, here in Melbourne and, and also in Sydney, but a lot more, I've noticed that a lot more here in Melbourne is you've got your, you've got your step down um, ceilings and to accommodate for the for, for the water piping from the from the floor above. Right. Uh, so what happens is you're going to end up with a lot of mould 
And these these units, the ones that we've gone into, that that they are tiny, and there is no ventilation. Stunningly tiny. Now I, I, I regard this building as the as the high rise equivalent of when John Adams uppercut and I went to Donnybrook, and we saw this whole residential development with all the houses crammed in and no backyards at all in the middle of a paddock where they could everyone could have had a big backyard. This building is similar. The, the, the rooms are so small, it's not funny. The reason we came here is because this building's notorious. It's, it's, it's not even complete. People are already living in the lower floors and cracks are appearing. And we got confirmation of that, didn't we? No, that's right. We, we met a, uh, some tenants uh, in, in the building and they were telling us that we didn't see it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we've got to take it at face value. Uh, but uh, as I said, there, there are settlement issues that occur in a lot of high rise. Yeah. Okay, let's, let, let's be fair. Um, the, the problem, the ongoing problem that I've been talking about for many years is the is the issue of mold. Yeah. Mold is a silent killer, Robbie, and that's what the public need to know. The public need to know that mold is a silent uh, silent killer, and they need to prepare for uh, ongoing maintenance with a mechanical ventilation. That's, that's lack of ventilation. That's the size, and that's the, the, the speed of the construction, right? Uh, all, all of that, uh, as well as our lifestyles. We're not, we're not going to open windows, we're not going to yeah. ventilate. The whole purpose of having uh, that mechanical ventilation is to, to ventilate. But when you're doing your laundry uh, inside, when you do, you're, you're, you're cooking, you've got your laundry going, you've got the air conditioning going, and then you've got the, the floor above you, the, yeah, the unit above, yeah. is, is having a shower, and then, and yeah. then it all condenses in the pipe that's in between the walls. And sooner than later, that mold is going to come out. And the point is, you know, you're talking about something that you know, uh, you don't expect to have that problem if you paid a million dollars for that property. No. And that's where, when that starts to mount up as a, as a, you know, in people's awareness that, oh, this is what we're buying for that, people aren't going to buy them, and we can see this property bubble start to burst. So, Edwin, thanks for coming to Melbourne. Thanks for joining us on the CEC report. Thanks for having us. Back to the studio. So this kind of deregulation is coming to life and death issues on a lot of fronts. Um, now, for more information, if you haven't already, call in for a complimentary copy of our Australian Alert Service because we're following all these stories on a weekly basis. Um, we do have to stop briefly again, but we'll be dis back to discuss what is blocking the solutions. Welcome back to the CEC report. Now we're discussing the chaos factor, sabotaging solutions. So if you take a bit of a look around the entire world right now, you see a lot of conflagration points, a lot of crisis points um, that are creating blow-ups and fights between various countries and conflicts of various kinds. And they are distracting from the real issue at hand because the whole globe is facing, you know, a new GFC on a much larger scale. And we could be uniting and we probably would be uniting in some capacity to solve those problems were there not all these other issues that uh, make us um, wary of our neighbours and so forth. So whether it be, uh, for instance, the attempts to blow up a war in Iran where now you have the US out here asking Australia to join this new um, Persian Gulf Maritime Force, I should say, whether it be um, attempts to blow up something with China, I mean, with the US again asking us potentially to host missile defence systems in the northern part of our country, which would then put us even further at odds with China. 
Um, these kind of interventions make an impact. You see what's going on in Hong Kong with the protests there, which are being deliberately stirred along because um, the bill in question, the extradition bill, had been put long ago put aside. So there's still a core unit there that's driving it along. Whether you look at the Extinction Rebellion protests, those kinds of things that are, again, uh, distracting us from the real issue afoot and run by hardcore extreme elements, or the so-called domestic terrorism now that countries are being hit with, as in the last two cases over 24 hours in the United States last weekend, um, where you know, they're no longer talking about international terrorism with Muslim extremism, um, but domestic terrorism because people, many of whom are motivated by environmentalism, as the El Paso killer was, and in the case of Brenton Tarrant in Christchurch, or right-wing extremism, there's left-wing elements there as well. Um, it's all creating the basis, not only for a distraction and for division, but also the pretext for a police state crackdown which is preventing the truth from emerging. You've got an incredible move towards censorship of the internet, which is being justified, for instance, by the Christchurch case where um, you know, you're not even allowed to discuss what was in his manifesto, etc., which needs to be discussed if we want to get to the bottom of this. And I mean, I want to refer people because in the case of this El Paso killer, he had uh, actually cited um, and the fact that he was motivated by the case of the Christchurch killer. So I want to refer people to our package, which they can call in for a copy of to find out more, because what we identified there is that the British Psychological Warfare Unit called the Tavistock Institute um, was had some uh, hand in this, as it was in the case of Martin Bryant. The Tavistock Institute has uh, said that paradigm shifts, shifts in the population can be generated by social turbulence and engineered by global events. So these kind of crises that are being forced upon us can create shifts that we would never otherwise accept. Uh, the Christchurch attacker also, which is covered in this package, said he was motivated, motivated by the desire to foment civil war, including in the United States. So again, pitching one at the other so we're not working together. Um, the other thing, of course, we do is to trace the extensive trail, the breadcrumbs that Tarrant left in the case of Christchurch, which show that it's impossible that the Five Eyes spy agencies were not aware of him. And we're finding the same thing in a lot of cases. If you look at the um, inquest that's been going on into the London Bridge uh, terrorist attack in the UK, and look at some of the headlines where family members are saying, look, MI5 knew about this guy, MI5 were involved, and MI5 has just recently taken over, uh, looking over the area of uh, far-right extremism over there. So it's now in their purview. And what we've shown in our literature over many years, with full documentation, as others have done, uh, is that the intelligence agencies have always known these guys, and they've often fostered them and stoked them along because this is what they want as a pretext to get a police state clamped down. Well, Alyssa, I find it interesting that, you know, when you say police state, back in 2002, that's 17 years ago, we released our economic development program for the country, and we had economic, economic development or a fascist police state, and that's actually what's come to be. Now, what this is all targeted about is to stop collaboration between sovereign nations, development of new banking systems that are not based upon speculation. This is where China and Russia have been you know, collaborating a great deal and that's what's driving the hysteria against China at the moment. Mm -hmm. And of course 
when you've got a population destabilised internally by intelligence agencies, they haven't necessarily got much time to look at the, these bigger issues and solutions. And people become afraid to speak out, um, like even just calling a member of parliament or putting in a submission can be a big deal when you're mm. putting your name to that uh, under the current climate that we've got. That's right. um, but <laughs> make sure you do do it because we have to fight this stuff now before it's too late. So make your submission. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Join us again next week for the CEC Report. Mm -hmm.